Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of Daffy's Roundtable. My guest for today is someone I consider the Uncle Snoop of the reptile world. Apart from having an extremely interesting collection of his own, my guest today is the host of four reptile podcasts and the designer of the Herpetoculture magazine. As I said earlier, this man is doing everything. I'm super excited for today's episode, so without further ado, everybody, please help me welcome Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. Hello, hello, hello. What up? How are you? I'm good, man. Thank you for coming on, first of all. Absolutely. I know we've been uh, we've been trying to make this happen for a for a minute. So. Yeah, I mean, you're you're like like I said, you're recording how many podcasts? You're probably recording every night anyway. So <laughs> thank no, you for I taking mean, a night yeah, off. <laughs> yeah, it's not as it's not as much as I guess people think. I don't know. It's just consistency. Like we do them on the same nights every week. So it maybe it seems like because we're cranking out stuff so often, it seems like there's a lot more going on but and you are yeah. recording them all live other than uh the herpetoculture podcast correct uh so snakes and stogies is the only live one we're doing it's but only live one. okay thp um chondrocast corn stars those other ones those are those are pre-recorded so okay awesome so i do want to ask you like how you got into reptiles and all of that but since we're already talking about the podcasts um you mind if we run through them each one by one? Yeah. So like, yeah. obviously, we got to start with the Herpetoculture podcast. That's the one I first discovered, and actually, That's the is probably yeah, probably my inspiration for starting this uh, this show myself. Uh, so, I obviously know what it's about, but could you maybe tell people what it's a little bit a uh, little bit about what it's about, what you guys talk about on there, and uh, how it started, maybe? Yeah. So that one was that's that's the first podcast that we we started. Um, me and Jacob Bratz, who was of Longleaf Reptilia, was formerly JLB Morelia. He's done a sort of a branding change within the last couple months. Um, so I was kind of the first one. It's it's kind of funny how it started because I I started I wanted to do a podcast because Joe Phelan was doing one, and uh, that's uh, the Port Credit. That's yeah, that's Port City Pet Port City from Pet. the ground up, right? Um, and so it wasn't actually long after I met Jake, we ended up finding each other on Instagram. It's, you know, I came across this profile somewhere or another and I was like, man, this guy keeps like Morelia. You know, I was like, this is awesome. He's in the same stuff I'm into. And he's, and I thought, yeah. And I thought maybe he was up the coast or something in Charleston or, you know, and it turns out he's literally like 20 minutes across town. That's awesome. It's just, it's, it's kind of, I'm not really one to sort of buy into the whole, like, fate or destiny kind of thing but it was awfully coincidental that we like the right. same stuff in the same because our town isn't very big you know it's it's not a not a big big place it's not like a major city or anything like that so so not a lot of rough talk keepers around yeah yeah i mean there's a, there's a decent amount it's it's not a ton but a lot of them are kind of much more casual i guess like they yeah. they kind of have some balls and some other odds and ends but to find someone that was as into morelia and carpets and stuff like that like jake it was like that was just it was weird yeah it's really strange so it's we awesome. started that um next year march will be f four years i think awesome so you guys are like episode uh 100 or 200 now something we're at for thp we're at 142 which is this 142. coming upcoming week okay. this week is 142 and i was way off but yeah <laughs> with all, well with all the other stuff we are over over 200 now oh, so yeah right yeah, yeah so yeah. It's adding That's... up quick, but THP was the original, and then, you know, we just kind of took it from there. I ended up being a yeah. Condro guy. I, I sort of really f wanted to, to do a Condro podcast because at the time we really only had GTP Keeper Radio, which Bill and Buddy they don't do episodes very often. Um, it's actually pretty rare now, okay. and so I I wanted to sort of fill that gap in between episodes with of, of their show, kind of with my own of of some some people and. So after Conjurecast, what came next? Uh, snakes and stogies. Snakes and stogies, yes. So, okay, Which... so I actually have a bunch of questions about snakes and stogies because okay. that's that's one of my favorite ones. But, yeah, so how did that start, first of all? That one, oh, that one's, it's funny what's happened with that one because that one started out as me and Phil Wolf just doing Instagram Lives. Like right. we, we would have regular phone conversations or like FaceTimes while we were smoking cigars. And we just, we talk about this kind of stuff. Like we talk about snakes, we talk about venomous and taxonomy and stuff like that. And just nerd out over, over that kind of stuff. And 
yeah. it got to a point where we were like, man, we sh- like, I really wish we had recorded that conversation last night. Cause there was actually some, some really good information that people probably would have liked to have had, you know? And yeah. we ended up doing Instagram lives. And then after a while it, it was like, crap, I can't save that. You know, it's like, we can't save Instagram live stories. And so it was, it ended up turning, like it started out as something as like super casual, it's not even like a real thing. We're just doing it for fun. Right. Like it's not meant to be an official show or anything like that. And it's, it's almost morphed into almost, it's almost got to the same level as THP. I think in terms of like popularity and like people that are, that are really into it. Um, Absolutely. And it's, it's just hilarious that it's, it, that shows probably more work than THP is just in terms of because it's live, you know, setting up everything, having guests lined up ahead of time, getting a sort of a, we put much more thought into, into those episodes and shows and stuff as far as what we cover than we do THP. THP usually I'll just throw together a, a very loose outline, um, like less than 20 questions to send to the guest. And I, you know, with, with snakes and stogies, Phil definitely has a big part in, in making sure that there's sort of more going into it. Right, um, but it's it's just it's we have a Facebook group now for Snakes and Stogies that's I think like a couple hundred members deep now. But yeah, you guys have for, kind of formed like a community around just that yeah. one podcast. How do you think, or or why do you think that happened? Do you think um, the the rotating guests and having that many guests at once helped out, or do you think it had more to do with incorporating like? cigars and like other things other hobbies into just talking about snakes like it's more of a hangout like when i watch yeah. snakes and stogies it's more like i'll throw it on when i'm when i'm doing some stuff around here and i feel like you know we're kind of hanging out yeah whereas thp it's more of like i'm, I'm driving somewhere that's it's a little that's more the podcast and more yeah exactly yeah. so i'm surprised yeah. you say that you put more work into into snakes and stogies actually yeah yeah that is kind of kind of ironic um yeah but yeah it, it originally started out as Phil likes cigars. I like cigars. I work in cigars. Yeah. Um, and I had a hand, we had a handful of other buddies that were also herp guys that liked cigars. And so I was like, let's start a group just because that's, that's two very odd sort of combinations to of, have together pastimes to have together. And there's, yeah. I didn't think there was going to be that many people that were really into it, but I was proven wrong. Um, <laughs> very wrong. So it, it just started out as like, we were having conversations with all these different people saying more or less the same things. Like, why don't we just start a group and put everybody together? And then if like, Hey, you like cigars and you don't really keep snakes. That's cool. If you like snakes and you don't really like cigars, that's fine too. If you like both. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it kind of just started out as like, there's this odd group that's, that's into both snakes and stogies. And so we, we started that. And I think that's what we ended up naming them. I don't know how we ended up getting to the name of the podcast. I think it was right. just we were talking about it and it was there was carpets and coffee that the npr guy started yes so i was like dude let's do snakes and stogies and phil was yeah. like yeah and then we got the logo and the continuation of yeah and now you have just... carpets coffee snakes and stogies yeah <laughs> no that's awesome um and yeah and, and the community around it is 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 something incredible to see from like even from the outside it's uh it's it's really cool Sure. Well, it kind of takes that element of cigars because if you've ever been to a cigar shop or anyone's ever been to a cigar shop, it's it doesn't seem to really matter what shop you go to. You walk in and there's automatically this sort of feeling of like you know everybody. Right. Like there's this. There's it's it's the common denominator for everyone there. Like yeah, kind of like in walking the... into a reptile shop as well. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like we kind of brought that element to it. You know, there's people that are in the group that I really, I haven't met them at Daytona or any of the shows or anything like that, but I talk to them on a regular basis. Cause they, you know, they're, they're getting into cigars because of, you know, us talking about them. And, um, it's, it's odd, not really odd, but it's awesome that it's taking that same sort of feeling of like, when you walk into a cigar shop, someone will come in, you know, you have people from all different walks of life in cigar shops, at least most of them more the blue collar ones and sort of the higher end ones. But you know, you'll have people that are lawyers, plumbers, police officers, firefighters. Um, I had a guy that I was talking to tonight at work, actually. He was some sort of higher up at Home Depot, which is a like a home improvement store down here. I don't know if y'all have those up there or not. but Yeah, we do have Home Depot, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, we were talking about politics and stuff, and it was just, I'd never met the guy before. I don't even know what his name was. 
never even right. gave each other's names, but we just, you know, we had like a 30 minute conversation about sort of politics and what's been going on down here. And it's just one of those things that, just, that seems like such a rare thing now. Yeah. Just, yeah. Especially with social media, hundred percent, especially with strangers, you know, you don't really, but because of few, social media, aside from <laughs> like bars, there's really nowhere you can just walk into somewhere, sit down and start having a conversation with someone, never know their name. You'll probably never see them again. No, that's you know, right. A lot of out of towners and tourists here. So, and it's, it's just weird. You know, you just hit it off with people and then you have some people you don't, but for the most part, everyone, because everyone's there for cigars, there's sort of this, this baseline level of sort of camaraderie in a, in a sense. Right. And like we're here for the same, same thing. snakes. So when you have both, right. No, that's, that's, that's awesome. And then corn stars came. Yeah, and that's, that's because the, you... the latest one. Yeah, it's very, very recent, right? Uh, just a couple of months now. Yeah, we've only done two episodes, and we've been we've been kind of slack about that. So that one's kind of interesting. Corn snakes are—they'll always have sort of a special place in my heart. As a kid, I you know my dad bred them, and I helped him out with those. That was awesome. like early 2000, 2000 2004. Um, and yeah, I recently—go ahead. Sorry, one of the questions I had here uh, actually was what I've seen you sort of when I first started listening to THP, you were kind of all about Morelia. I'm not keeping anything mm -hmm. but Morelia. And now you're kind of making the switch to Colubrids. So maybe like two in one answer. Why did you switch to Colubrids and then why the Corn Stars uh, podcast? Well, or, yeah, I mean, yeah. Corn Snakes for me, it's it's a big Corn, nostalgia yeah. factor. Um, it's been pretty rare that I haven't had some in my collection at pretty much any given time. Uh, it started out with the locality one, so I'm down on the very bottom corner coast of South Carolina, which is, you know, Jasper County, which is famous for the, the highlighter orange corns is, is right up the road. Um, we have a lot Sounds of barrier cool. islands down here, so there's a ton of different corns and sort of different phenotypes that you get in the area. Uh, and so I have a, a group of locality corns that I was originally, I, I accrued over time. And I finally got my first clutch out of the female that I've had for like five years. And Sweet. I got another pair that's also locality specific to the island I live on. And so it started out with that. And then, of course, you know, you go to Daytona and there's so many corns there now. It's unbelievable. And you see all the different combinations of colors and morphs. And so that kind of sparked my interest again. And. Chris Painshab at Badlands for Pediculture doesn't help. He's a horrible influence. He's <laughs> all kinds of awesome stuff. And he's like, dude, I'll send it to you. He's like, I'll put it in a box with like five other things. Like, okay. Sure. Um, <laughs> Who's going to so, save that a snake? Yeah. So, I mean, there's just, there's, I'd started Cornstars, honestly. It's, I, I want to say it's kind of selfish, but it was mostly out of wanting to play catch up and learn more like, about get yeah. back into the loop as far as morphs because it's changed a lot since i was a kid you know there's so much more to it now it's unbelievable um so it was That's one of those nice. things where it's like i have the gear i know chris would be down to come on and host with me and it's like i can ask all the questions i want you know even if they're stupid ones and like basic ones and this way it's recorded for everyone else to hear it too exactly yeah. So I was like, if I'm going to do that, why wouldn't we just record that and upload it? Uh, and then and when it happens, it happens. Like I said, we've only done two episodes. And the way it's supposed to work is it'll be me and Joe Phelan. Sweet. And it'll just be me and him on an episode. Because um, he didn't really have any desire to do the guest thing and interview style thing. So I was like, that's cool. And that's where Chris fills in. So Chris does the guest episodes with okay, me. Okay, cool. So they kind of alternate, or at least they're supposed to. Um schedules again have been really squirrely especially for joe because he's actually in the process of like moving and changing jobs and stuff and he's always on the on the go and then chris's work schedule gets a little weird so it's that i want to do another episode and we keep saying like every week i'm like are we doing one this weekend and it's like yeah sure and then it's like oh wait i can't and yeah that's oh, sort sure. of the general runaround but definitely want to do do more of those at some point and i went from uh as far as sort of switching from morelia and, and pythons and some of that stuff to, to more colubrids it was it wasn't really even intentional uh, i'm a big chondro guy yeah I, I love chondros i will always have chondros uh i was making I, I was making some decent headway as far as you know the group i have and and i got a clutch that was 
two years ago. Nice. I think I remember seeing you post that. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I lost the, the adult female that, that I got that clutch from the only adult female I had, she ended up rolling on me. She got egg bound. Um, that sucks. Yeah. So that was my only adult female. So that kind of happened and it was like, well, I'm not going to breed conjures again now for the next until you grow two years. Female. Right. And I've got a hand, all my other conjures are still too young, too small. Some of them, I don't even know what the sex is on them yet. Do they take so, a long time to grow up? Um, and then is it you, hard to find a female? If you kind of take your time. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of like anything else. If you feed the, the crap out of it, it's going to, it's going to explode sure. and be a fat snake and probably die young. But yeah, um, it's not necessarily hard to find other females, but there's just, I didn't want to find a female on the fly, be in a hurry to pair it. You know, it's one of those things where even if I did come across another adult female and got it, I would still probably wait a year before I even paired her anyways, no, just absolutely. to give them that time to, to sort of settle. But I'm knowing that I her. have the group, cause I still have nine or 10 condros. Wow. Okay. They're just, they're either adult males or almost a full adult males, or they're just too small and unsexed. So. I'm, so is it, is it, um, is it just more common to see males in that species? Cause like, I think, uh, Lichianus, I believe it's the, the Lichianus gecko. I believe it's more common to see females, for example. Like if, uh, mm -hmm. the breeders are always looking for like a male and it's tough to, to get a male. But is it the is that a thing for chondros? Is it just tough to find females? Or I don't have you really just been think unlucky? so. <laughs> I think I know I think it's it seems to be pretty evenly split. The females okay. definitely seem to sell faster from the looks of it. Like adult females, especially, those get snatched up real quick. Yeah. Um honestly I I'd rather have more males than more females. Like if I'm going to have a sex ratio with something, I'd rather have, I'd rather be male heavy or equal. Why is that? Male to females. Because you can breed like if, if you, you can take one stellar male or two stellar males would be better. And you can pair those to as many females as you want. You can right. only pair the female once. I guess. So, yeah. I'm kind of weird in the, in the, in that way that I like when I have, so I got a, a nice designer animal from, from David Brown's specialty enclosure designs. And cool. uh, I'm fairly certain that's a female. I was really hoping it was a male. Cause I was like, if this is a male homeboy's going to be putting in some work <laughs> in a couple years, like dude's going to be like, he's going to be going places. Okay. Um, I think it's a female, which that's cool too, but it's just one of those things where if I'm going to, if I have a choice between investing in a really nice male or a really nice female, I'm, I'm going to go with the nice male probably eight times out of 10, just because a, I don't have to worry about him as much. Like I don't have to worry about him getting egg bound. I don't have to worry about him getting bullied you know, by just the overall stress of yeah. breeding and stuff like that. Like he's going to handle it fine. Um, for sure. So no, that I, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You want the genes yeah. to be in the male, not the, the better genes to be in the male. So you can spread it to more females right. than having so a nice, female. I either, I either want to be male heavy or I want to have equal ratios, but being female heavy, that's not a horrible thing either. It's just out of personal preference really. And it's one of those things where, um, sometimes, you know, if you have a single male and multiple females, that male may not get the job done. You know, I tried right. pairing a two year old, uh, male to, to that bigger female before I put her back with the original male. And he was clueless. Like I left him yeah, in there for no about idea. 48 hours or so. And he did nothing but cruise and pace and just, he wanted nothing to do with her. No, and so awesome. it was one of those things where it's like, man, it's, it's a good thing. I have other options. Cause if I exactly. had just got that guy and put all my eggs into that basket, I would have been pretty irritated and, and probably would have been on, you know, on the hunt for another male on the fly. Exactly. No, and then it comes down to, I guess, quality over quantity as well. If you have more females, mm -hmm. you're going to be producing more and not really caring about like specific, uh, like trophy animals, you know, trying to raise mm -hmm. the best animal possible. That's and even in chondros though, man, I'm, I'm convinced an ugly one doesn't exist. They're all awesome. I've heard you say this before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, they're freaking cool animals. They're not exciting. Like I will say that it's when people are saying conjures are boring, they're not wrong. Like conjures are not exciting animals to keep. If you're looking for something that's going to keep you on your toes and sort of be active and stuff, conjures ain't it, man. So keep you on but, your toes. So they are as as aggressive as, as like, or as food driven. I don't want to say aggressive as people say. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's they're, they kind of have the typical Morelia food response where when you first open that that tub or open the doors, their first response is to usually perk up and either go for it or or definitely think about it. Yeah. Um, as far as sort of handleability and stuff, though, it seems to be, you know, what people say about Beox being more high strung, I agree with. Yeah. Um, which, oddly enough, I wonder if it's more of an import thing, though, because the lone holdback I have from my my first clutch was wild card. I trust. No. Well, they was from the, the two Beox that are that were imports. OK, but that snake's super handleable. Like, I trust that snake more than I oh, trust some of the other stuff. Um, okay. and I have some other buddies that got some snakes from that clutch and they said the same thing. They're like, this Bioc is like freakishly mellow. Um, but then I have some other animals that are sort of designers, quote unquote. Um, and I don't trust them at all. And do you think that's maybe like handleability from the breeder himself? Like when they first came out of the egg, he may be the, the one, the Bioc, uh, breeder, maybe handled them a little bit more or do you think um, nothing to do with it? I don't know. I think it, I think it, genes kind of do play a, a part in it kind of the odd thing about that lone holdback that i have from that clutch is the female that i lost that adult female that produced that animal she was pretty chill once you got her out she was fine okay. getting her out was could be kind of tough sometimes right and then the sire who i still have he's just he's a prick he's horrible like he's the, he's the worst and it's always fun it's you know it is what it is it's whatever that's just the way that animal is I'm like i leave him be because i know he just he doesn't enjoy me pestering him or trying to you know handle him or there's just some animals that that's just the way they are and, that just, and that's cool to, yeah just accept them for, for what they are and leave me and the beauty of chondros is even when they are like not a handleable species they're always i feel upfront and like oh, uh, yeah. kind of exposing yeah. themselves so there's always something nice to look at right yeah they're definitely eye candy i think i've only had one one chondro and that's actually now Alan Stevens. Uh, yeah, and that was one that would stay under the, the puppy pad a lot, which was odd. At first, I was kind of like, that's not normal. Usually when you see green trees doing, especially during the day, when you see green trees not perched, something's off. Something's wrong. And after a while, like, he would go back to perching, and then he would, like, he'd be under the puppy pad again. And it was like, he was completely fine. Sometimes you just get those snakes that are just... They're just odd. You Different know, they just personality. Do their own thing, and that's very know, interesting. Did you say puppy pad? Fine. He was eating fine. Yeah, yeah. Is that what that's you use for I substrate the, for chondros? Chondros on. Yeah, either that or uh, aspen. I kind of. That's very interesting. Or not aspen. I mean, uh, cypress, cypress mulch. Yeah. Um, I like cypress mulch a lot, but with chondros and sort of the feeding response they get, I kind of I worry about them ingesting some of that getting you know, some of it like yeah smaller shavings or papers and stuff like that i'm not as worried about but like when you're dealing with sharper shards of wood like that i i get a little more paranoid but no for sure no it doesn't make sense and then yeah. is is so the paper bats kind of to replace like paper towels yeah and is it yeah. is it okay so this is this is this is revolutionary okay is it easier to clean <laughs> oh yeah because just... so they're they're like plastic lined on the bottom so nothing seeps out okay, interesting like there's like this sort of it's got to be something almost like the the gel that people use for watering crickets and bugs yeah it must be something similar to that because it absorbs that water real quick and um i get a box of 50 of them from walmart for like 10 bucks that's awesome and they're just okay. they're just they're super easy to use i'll use them even when i'm like thawing mice out and i pull them out to um when i cut the mice to feed like Storm i'll on. take them take a razor blade and I put cuts in it to make it a little easier for them to get more nutrients out of each meal. Um, I put them on that puppy pad cause then it doesn't get my, my table all wet and you know, it's just folded up and trash yeah. it. And Who wants a uh, little rat or mouse blood all over the table? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so you said, so you cut up the, like the pinkies for, for your baby snakes. Uh, yeah, I'll cut up. Well, I don't, I don't cut them up like into pieces, but basically I take a, them. A razor blade and yeah and i put probably four cuts perpendicular to the spine down the back and so there was someone that did a study and i think she took it down it's not available anymore it's like from like 2013 i think okay. and she did a study with a small sample size of corn snakes that showed putting cuts into the the pinkies and fuzzies there was just an unbelievable growth spurt in those animals that got that compared to the ones that were just fed normal thawed 
fed, you know, nothing, nothing done to them. Um, and sort of the theory behind that is that their digestive system puts so much work into just getting past the skin, which is the, the that's a barrier, you know, that's meant to protect the inside of that animal. Uh, and that the digestive system of the snakes puts in so much work just to get past that, to get to the nutrients that they're not really getting the most out of each meal. And okay. so what, what um, Hurley did was she cut these mice and she put different, different cuts to different groups. So some got like two cuts, some got three, some got four. Um, and she found the ones that had four cuts, just the, there's graphs of it. Pretty and I fast. mean, they just, they go, yeah, they <laughs> doubled in size in the same time that, you know, normal, normally fed corns did. And uh, that's, I do think it takes two seconds to do. So you might as you well, know, whether it makes a serious difference or not, you know, I've, I keep saying, I'm going to, I'm going to recreate that with a clutch at some point. I just, for whatever reason, I get impatient with time because I have to go to work or something. And so I end up just throwing stuff to, to things. But, um, I, as far as growth goes, I don't know that I've really noticed any massive difference as far as things seeming to get way bigger faster. Uh, but I do notice that that lump that they usually have for a couple of days after eating disappears a lot faster. And it's the, the premise is that those digestive juices and stuff in their stomach can get to the, the nutritious parts of that, that prey item, you know, the, all the innards and, and gooey stuff and all that. Uh, faster. And so they're using it more efficiently. You know, yeah. it's not as, it's not as much work on their digestive system to get to what they need to out of that meal. Um, they're and especially also digesting faster, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think with chondros, where a lot of people are kind of worried about prolapses and impaction and um, things not getting digestive properly or fully, you know, I think that kind of stuff really helps. It is much messier with chondros because they're not like some snakes that'll just kind of gently grab it and take it. Like chondros, every single one I've ever had grabs it, wraps it like it's alive and squeezes the ever-loving piss out of it and it gets gross when you cut them so yeah I those i cut more towards the base of the tail where there's less things to it's like a grenade almost like you give them that mouse and it's cut and they just squeeze it and it just it it gets gross yeah so i try to cut more superficially at in a less uh fatty or, or vital part along the back that's okay <laughs> that's that's a very good point i might even actually start trying that with my carpet as well just uh just to see uh mm -hmm. difference I guess if they're they're digesting it faster, you can probably like in the wild if they were digesting faster, they'd be going for food more often, maybe. So that could be it. Did, did she talk about? I mean, I also think of it. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was saying in the in terms of like females though, and and neonates, I think it's it's really helpful, especially when you're talking about baby chondros in particular where they come out tiny, like they need sustenance and they need to be eating and, and getting as much nutrients as they can to really kind of give them the best shot. Um, so I think with, with those and like really small species, like your Alterna and stuff, like those cuts and giving them that extra boost really helps. But then also when you're talking about females going into a breeding season or laying females, you know, that are either about to lay or going into ovulation or whatever, and then post lay, doing that so that their system can get more of those nutrients faster and sooner, you know, getting access to the, the calcium of the bones and, and all the other things they need from that prey item to really bounce back really well. So I think in that aspect, it's, it's really important. And like I said, it takes seconds to do. It's not like it's right. super labor intensive or anything like that, but I think it makes a, a difference in some way, whether it makes a huge difference, I don't know, but I think it does, it does help. The, the, I, I, I mean, it does make sense. Like you said, the, the skin is a barrier and the longer it takes for them to get through it, the, the longer till they get to their nutrients. I, that's very interesting. I, I'm glad uh, you brought that up. Um, okay. Um, so what about the Herpeticulture magazine? What was the inspiration behind starting that? That originally started in 2018. Okay. I think it might have been, I think it was 2018. Um, I had been working for a marketing company that had turned publisher 
and they were doing some community magazines for like some of the residential housing developments around here. Um, and I sort of learned everything that I know as far as the magazine and social media and marketing stuff in general. Like I learned all of that on the job sort of on the fly Sweet. where we had a boss that would agree to do anything, whether we knew how to do it or not. And so it was one of those things where it's like, we don't know how to do it, but guess who's going to learn, you know, the Binge three of us that were working there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so after learning all that stuff and I, I loved reptiles magazine as a kid, there was a point sort of in the mid two thousands where I feel like it kind of took a dive. And I, after 10 years of subscribing to it or, um, maybe not 10 years. Yeah. about 10 years? Uh, I had never even seen it. Yeah. I had kind of, I had kind of, I'd stopped reading it really. It seems like it's gotten a lot better. I need to get a subscription to it again because some of the covers and stuff I've seen, it looks awesome. Like they're really kind of diversifying again. It seemed like it got to a point where they were sort of just covering the same stuff on rotation. Okay. Um, but I was like, I know how to do this stuff now. Like I'm going to take a crack at, at doing it and then sort of following that same model that I was doing with the job I was working at at the time. Uh, originally I was doing it by myself and that's why it kind of got shelved. Um, that was in 2018. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then in 20, 20. 2020, yeah. um, Billy Hunt of Uwabami Reptiles, one of my, my good buddies, came to me and said, Hey man, if I help you out, will you, you know, will you bring that back? And I said, sure. And at the time, like I had switched jobs, I wasn't there anymore. Uh, and the problem, the big problem was with me shelving it was I'd be at my, my computer all day at work. And then I'd have to come home and do it some more. And so it kind of is one of those things where like I really don't want to look at my screen any more than I absolutely have to. Um, yeah. I switched jobs. And now that was when I started working in the cigar shop full time. And I was able to do that stuff while I was working there. You know, I wasn't sitting on my computer all day doing other work. Um, and so I was in a good spot to, to bring it back. And, and we did. And uh, this, as of this month, it's two years old. Um, what issue are you guys It's at now? now just me and Phil. I'm working on issue 25 right now. Okay, awesome. So we've, oh, it's not we've just recently you and Phil. switched. We've had some some changes. It's me and Phil now. It was me, Phil, and Billy. Um, okay. Billy's kind of decided to, to step away from it. Um, awesome. And so now Phil's helping me out with it. And we've kind of switched it up because we for the last two years, we've been doing it monthly. It's been a monthly magazine. And a lot of that was for me to have a deadline to give myself a deadline because if I don't, it'll just it'll take forever to it'll get done. Um, yeah, right. same thing. <laughs> so we've now kind of switched it up to to an to an issue by issue basis instead of month to month. So yeah, issues might take more than a, a month to get out, but we think it'll help with overall stress levels, especially for me. Um, I mean, but you're also that it kind of so helps much. us. <laughs> get more content yeah and it's it's just one of those things where it kind of just makes sense you know it, it this issue that i'm working on currently it's kind of freaked me out because it's the middle of november and i haven't released an issue yet and usually it's like i want it out within the first week of of that month um right so it's been kind of tough and i've like i'm kind of getting used to it because i'm usually like you can ask my wife there's like anxiety all the time of like i have to get this done i have to get that done this deadline, deadline, deadline. Shit. i gotta finish layout on this and yeah yeah and now it's phil's just kind of like man let's just let's put them out when we get them done and i'm like that that kind of works but at the same time it's like i kind of need a a box to deadline. work in like i kind of yeah. need some sort of goal post or finish line of some sort like if we're if we're that sort of sort of lax about it then it yeah it'll be a quarterly magazine rather than you know whatever it's it's going to be now but i think long term it'll it'll kind of work out and i think it'll make the magazine better because we won't be in such a rush to get content together on you know short notice um and we yeah. can kind of just sort of take our, our time with it i guess in a sense so it's it's an adjustment but it's been going really well we uh we've ended daytona this year and sold out of magazines we only brought i think i only brought like 50 did you go specifically to sell magazines sold out of all of them or did you have snakes on you yeah as well, yeah we got or... a booth for the the podcast and the magazines 
Oh, okay, cool. Wow. Okay. We uh, I would Billy love to go to Daytona. Tables. Yeah, Billy bought. Billy bought two tables. He had one for the Uwabami stuff where he was selling snakes, and we had one for the podcasts and and the magazine and stuff. And we had shirts and 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 merch and stuff like that. And we sold through almost all of it over the weekend. Like the magazines were all gone the first day within like four hours. So that's awesome. That was surprising. We really weren't sure what to expect. So I, I think seeing good, them uh, as as hard copy it makes it easier to buy than than just um, buying it online. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's very cool. So, and then do you- um, and I've Like I said, I took that business model of what I was doing with the, the marketing place I was working at, the publisher. Right. Where, so it's, the magazine is completely free digitally. Like you can go online and you can read every issue yeah. whenever you want. They will always be free digitally. We just had enough interest in, in people wanting hard, copies that we offered that as a as an option like yeah. we found a print on demand service that prints them to order and that just sort of oh, filled the need of the people who i mean i like hard copies myself so yeah people can order hard copies we don't really make much of anything off of them and that's fine it's just there's an option but the magazine digitally is free so interesting so it's kind of like a drop shipping method mm -hmm. awesome yep Exactly. And they ship international, which is nice too, because we've, we've got a lot of people over in Europe and Australia and stuff wanting, wanting, uh, one copy. The hobby's pretty big there. The, the hobbies in, yeah. in Europe, at least I've heard the, the hobby's really big. Yeah. So do you think, do you think, um, social media and, and all this stuff is affecting the hobby in the direction the hobby moves in? Yeah. In terms of like what um, I think it definitely hasn't, you you see the the trends of things sort of come and go you know you'll notice some stuff gets really popular for six to nine months or so or maybe a year and then it sort of shifts and you don't really see people doing much with that anymore and i don't think it happens on the mass scale that everyone sort of has this perception that it does but i think it definitely has has an influence on it i know bear rat snakes are, are a big thing that i keep and i'm that's a big chunk of my collection is just bears rats. And I know for a fact that because of how much I talk about them on the podcast and how much I post them on Instagram and stuff, there have been people who have gotten bears because I, I hyped them up so much and talked about them so much and how much I love them that they got curious enough to, to try them themselves. And it is possible for one person to sort of make a dent in terms of, I got my carpet because of you guys. Yeah. 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 I it does. I, no idea. What, yeah. I, I, like after like years I, I think at that point i was listening to it to you guys for years and i was decided i was like finally i'm gonna get my first snake and i was like all right it's gonna be a carpet bite like it's gonna be a morelia of some of some sort so yeah that i i definitely agree with that and then do you think like um over time do you think it's gonna be going in more of like people gonna be breeding more morphs or do you think people will eventually start diversifying into more species because i feel like a lot of people tend to enter the hobby and then stick to the same like 10, 15 species um, as opposed to like, and, and then try to work with as many morphs as possible of those species as opposed to like diversifying with like, I mean, mm -hmm. how many reptiles do we have, right? Yeah. I think it's it's also kind of evenly split there. I think you're always going to have, especially with carpets, you're always going to have the purists and you're mm -hmm. always going to have the guys that are, that are morph guys. Um, and you're going to have the guys like Billy that are a little bit of both where they have their, their specific line projects and then they have their carpondros and, and all that goofy stuff. Um, I do think we're kind of at a point in the hobby overall where there is sort of a renaissance where people are kind of starting to starting to branch out. They're starting to realize there's more out there than, than just balls and corns and, and some of that other stuff. And um, you know, bears, rats, uh, transpacos <laughs> rats, all that stuff, like trying to, those are truly enjoyable species to keep. And so that's why I post them and stuff all the time. Cause they're awesome yeah. snakes. They're not hard to keep. They're pretty personable for the most part. And it's something a little different. And so I think people are kind of starting to, to move away from things. I know in terms of like breeding, uh, like we're at a point now, I speak for myself and, and Chris and, and some of the other guys where we're kind of just breeding for each other at this point. Yeah, like we're breeding for our friends. And yeah. if I have anything left over after, you know, they've claimed whatever they wanted, then I'll post that on Morph Market. But yeah, you hear everyone complain about selling snakes and how difficult it is now because people at want pictures and prices and 
oh, I have to ask the wife and then you get ghosted. And it's like, that's, that's just part of the dance. That's just part of the game that should be expected. Sure. You know, you're going to deal with that. If you're selling yeah. anything, you're going to uh, deal with it. Unless you're selling it wholesale, you're going to deal with that. Absolutely. Right. right. Yeah. So I think a lot of people are kind of starting to back off as far as breeding in larger numbers, at least people sort of, of where I'm at, where Chris is at, where Jake is at, where we have, they're not necessarily small collections. They're definitely not huge collections, but we are producing stuff, you know? And, uh, I don't, it's just, if you do it for fun and for the hell of it, just like anything else that I've been doing, everything else sort of follows, you know, it's awesome. All right. So are, uh, when you say you're breeding for your friend group, are you talking specifically corns, uh, corns and rats, or um, everything you're breeding? Are you breeding anything else at the moment? Uh, so 2022, 20, come spring, I'm planning on breeding corns, bairds, thorn scrub rats, which are uh, emery, emery rat subspecies. Um, some of the Elafe uh, Dion's, the Dion's rats. And then maybe some Alafe bimaculata, which are super closely related to the Dion's. Like they're they're kind of hard to tell apart, but they're they're distinct. Um, awesome. I don't chondros. I'm probably not going to be breeding chondros again until another four this or five time. Years. <laughs> this time, well, this time next year, because actually I was I was looking at I have some females from Luke that are coming up on. They were twenty. I think they were twenty nineteens. So I'm thinking this oh. time by this time next year. I think they'll be of size and they'll be ready to go. So awesome. fingers crossed. Wasn't as wasn't as bad as I thought. Because when that female died, I was like, great, I'm not gonna breed conjures for like a half a decade. Yeah. Which is a long well, time. Like it's tough to, to wait yeah, it out for yeah. that long. I yeah. Well, uh, especially when you have Luke and Davidson and pictures of babies hatching and it's like daily. <laughs> I, I wanna see little red and yellow baby heads coming out of eggs, man. How how long does it take before uh, they start losing the red and the yellow and get and turning green? It depends. Uh, Beox take a really long time. Some think Beox never actually finish changing. Like it's always kind of shifting with them. It seems. Um, Interesting. Those take a couple of years to sort of fully go from you know red or, or yellow to green. Okay. Um, some of the designer stuff that I've had, you know, they'll be yellow for a year hours. or two, and then yeah, and then well, within literally a week, they'll go from yellow to green and blue yeah okay. like you'll wake up each morning and it'll be a little more green than it was the day before and i like i love taking the progression pictures of that like each morning yeah. waking up taking pictures of it and then sort of seeing them on like a like a camera roll sort of thing of the just the transition of the it. green so kind it, of creeping up yeah it just it varies you know it, it depends on the on the animals and okay. some of them you'll wake up and they'll be a completely different color. Like I've, it's doesn't seem to be uncommon that you wake up and that, you know, an animal that was yellow the day before is now almost completely green. Like 12 hours. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's, crazy. It's strange. Interesting. Okay. And then, uh, another thing that I hear you say all the time, um, as you've been saying for years, and then it is, uh, I'm done keeping anything with legs. I'm going to stick to snakes from now on. But recently, <laughs> that was a lie. Yeah, recently you got some Aki monitors. <laughs> so, I did, and I love them. Yeah, I I love them too. I they're a very cool species. How's that going? Uh, what was they're the, awesome? Yeah, what what like what changed your mind into getting them, and uh, what's the plan? Oh, so Alan Stevens, who's uh, in California, he's under Origins Reptile. He is a big monitor guy, especially Odatria. So he loves the smaller monitors. Um, cool. He's got Kims. He's got Backies. He's got Tristus. I like um, Kims. He's got all kinds of cool stuff. And so he would, I, I mentioned at one point how much I really wanted Ackies as a kid. Like that was one of the species as a kid that I wanted so bad and never got. And he's like, dude, send me your address. And I'm like, I don't, I don't have anywhere to put those. Like, no, like those need bugs and those need lights. And, you know, I bred crested for a couple of years and I was like, these are fun, but I want to go back to snakes because they spoil you because they're so much easier to deal yeah. with, especially in larger numbers. And then I got they dart really frogs are. and did dart frogs for a couple of years. And I love those and I do miss those, but I don't really miss Fruit flies? waking up well not necessarily fruit flies themselves but waking up and realizing that a culture crashed and that was one of two cultures i had and the other one isn't anywhere near ready and if i use it that one's done, done too 
I have to keep around 15 cultures right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I miss, man, if I was going to keep any of those, though, it, I'd go back to Raina Tomei in a heartbeat. Those were Which the ones? most fun. Any of them. Oh, then you have I okay. loved my Vanzos. I loved my Variabilis. Um, okay. I had some Imitator Veraderos. I loved those. Awesome. Um, really, any, any of the Raina Tomei stuff, man, that was that was. My yeah. Was uh, I'm working with Vaseline. Yeah, love them. Those were fun. Yeah, I need to get more more out of me as I agree. <laughs> um, so I did those for a little for a couple of years and then got out of those just because space was a big issue. They were taking up a pretty big chunk of space in my room that I needed for snakes. It got down to a point where it was like I can either keep doing dart frogs and kind of put other snake projects sort of on hold in terms of expanding that, or I can get rid of the dart frogs and open up that space and, and sort of get to what I want to accomplish or, you know, goals that I had had planned out. So right. that was a tough decision, but I don't, I don't really regret it. I do one day I will get back into darts. I'm sure. Um, yeah. They're a lot of fun. And then, yeah. And then, you know, the Ackies came up, Alan was looking for a male green tree. I said, Hey, I got one, you know, cause I had my, my big adult male and I had two smaller adult males and I had no females for them. So I was like, I really don't need three female or three male chondros kind of just sitting around when I have six others that are bound Throwing to be, out, yeah, bound to be more males or more females, whatever. So I ended up sending that to him and he sent me two, uh, a pair of Ackies and yellow Ackies, reds, reds. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. They're awesome, man. They're so much fun. I'm, I really haven't played with them a whole lot. Are they're, you able to handle them? They're are still they kind of skittish. The male yeah, seems okay. much more receptive to me pestering him. The female doesn't doesn't seem to be down with it at all. But they are a pair. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Do you plan on breeding them in the future? Uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure they will. That'd be that'd be fun. You yeah. know, it's just one of those things where it's like, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, no big deal. Whatever. Yeah. You know, they're just cool. And I've only had those for not even two months, but I'm I'm really enjoying them. And I'm trying not to jump the gun, but I I. 100% see myself getting Kimberly rocks at some point in the next uh, couple of years. Like, uh, that's exactly what I'm looking at now. Eric Burke says they're more fun than the Ackies. Eric Burke at NPR. Okay. And if he's saying that, there's definitely something to it. You know, yeah. he's, he's like, if you like the Aggies, you'll love the Kims because the yeah. Kims are even more trusting. And, and you know, they, you come, you go to the front of the glass and they come up and they come, right come out. Yep. Crawling on you and trying to figure out what you got for them. And, yeah, there's a monitor breeder about like an hour and a half uh, where from where I am, and we uh, we took a trip to visit him the other day, and he the only thing he pulled out like we saw all the monitors and everything, but the only thing he pulled out was the Kimberly. He, he, like there was no hesitation; he pulled it out and like threw it at us, like here, take hold it. <laughs> like I was like like seriously, like not even mm -hmm. it just sat there, didn't even move. I, I was mind blown. I'm also looking into getting them because yeah. the the personality on it was incredible. And I've always loved monitors. Like Varanids have always been really cool to me. If I was ever gonna go hard on a on a group of lizards, it it probably would have been those if space wasn't was yeah. wasn't an issue. But it's one of those things where I'm gonna be very particular about what I get in terms of that stuff and how much of it because that's something you can't really skimp on, I don't think. Like those no, are animals sure. that definitely need more. You know, they're kind of like almost like parrots. You know, you can't just keep them in a little wire cage and they're good. Like they need you need all the space you can they give need them. more, they need space, they need time, they need attention, you know. And, and so I am I don't plan on on going heavy into any of that stuff, but like the pair of Ackies for now, you know, some <laughs> Kims or something, like that'd be cool, but I definitely yeah, I don't want to go too too crazy. But now that I'm breeding my own or like colonizing my own feeders and stuff again now it's like well i can get stroferous cool. geckos i can get cold those geckos. are very cool yeah now it's like crap now there's all the geckos that i've been talking about one for the last two years now damn it no they're I, i've also been like playing around with different species uh, and uh they're very cool mm -hmm. I, I i them and uh, i've also uh been looking at different day geckos some yeah. of the ones that are like, staying out there yeah uh, geckos are cool, man. Standings getting... are awesome. Those are probably my favorites. Yeah, uh, I'm, I've been looking. I guess it wouldn't be considered the day gecko, but like the micro uh, gonatodes and the uh, I guess the mm -hmm. Lewisai is a, is a is a day gecko. Yeah, yeah, they're they're beautiful. The colors on them is incredible. I yeah. yeah. Day but geckos are just too damn fast for me, man. Too too small too. Like if they start too, laying too eggs, quick. getting through the cracks. Yeah. Yeah. 
no, I, I agree. Uh, you probably did like get some get some cave geckos recently from from Chris. He got four. Nice. Them. Uh, the Chinese and, cave geckos. Yeah, and they got so Jake usually gets. I get all my stuff shipped to work because someone's always there, and Jake gets his stuff sent to work because I'm usually there. And so so you, they, stuff comes in. I open the box to make sure everything's okay, and I pull out those cave geckos, and I was like, "Dude, you're only taking two of these home. Like, I got it. I got to take two of these. These are they're just. I took them out and played them? with them. No, right. <laughs> he, said to, he said depending on what the the sex ratio is on the, on the group, I may get some. But Chris is also going to produce some more at some point. I'm sure if I say throw some in a box, he'll send them to me. But seeing those in person, you and said playing sorry. with them. They were Chinese, so right? freaking cool. Yeah, man. The yeah. eyes on those things are unbelievable. They're very cool. I, I saw, also saw the uh, Baolingi cave geckos the other day. Uh, mm -hmm. And that those are the colors on them is also very cool. But there was a very small uh, animal, so I didn't actually get to see. What, yeah. what they the Japanese like. ones look even more badass than the Chinese do. They look like Darth Maul in a gecko form, dude. I have not even seen the Japanese one. Hold on. Tiki's geckos had some at Daytona the year before last, and I was like, "That is the coolest looking thing I've I've ever seen." Japanese cave geckos. Yeah, pretty sure I, that's yeah. what it was. Oh yeah, okay. I uh, I need to go to Daytona. I need to come down to the states it's just fun, to go to dude. Daytona, man. Oh it's yeah, blast. yeah. And it goes on for days too, right? Like it's it's more than just a weekend. Uh yeah, some people get there Thursday and stay through Sunday. Yeah, um, we usually get there Friday and then leave sunday but i think next year i'm probably just going to plan to stay until monday and finish out that that final day again if we end up ending that's awesome but it's a yeah. blast dude it's so much fun i one day maybe next year I'll, I'll come down for just the weekend or then the problem is i can't take any animals up so i'll just be killing myself the whole time yeah. <laughs> i just feel like i want that but i can't have it like yep. no it's yeah but um but those some of those geckos that are coming, like they're becoming more popular now too. Like mm -hmm. the strophus that you mentioned earlier, I um, I've been looking into getting them, and I, Dude, I they're like, like aliens. Yeah, literally, yeah, like just... the the one especially I don't know uh, what subspecies, but it's like uh, almost black spotting all over it with the yellow. Tail. I think that's the tenacata. I think uh, maybe not. Possibly, yeah. Uh, they're incredible, like you said, aliens, aliens. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing more and more people post them now, but I I can't get my hands on on a pair or. Yeah, I there's, find there's, them anywhere. there's not a ton of them down here either. I mean, there are like, I do know some people that are breeding them, but even then, if you find some, like you go to Daytona and you're still looking at like four, 400 bucks for, for one is cheap. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, they, they're, they're not, they're not inexpensive geckos. The, the Neferis, uh, ne mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. The yep. Noptails, uh, yep. are also, I don't know how much they, they go for in the States, but they're going for like eight, nine hundred dollars. Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. Depending yeah. on the species, you know, Phil's Phil's all about those. And yeah, even talking to him, I've I've been tempted to to sort of dip my toe into those, too. But it's just one of those things where it's like I have to tell I have to talk myself out of stuff because yeah. I just don't have the space. You know, I, I don't have anywhere to put any of this. And it's time for a facility. <laughs> yeah, that might be happening soon. Um, that would be awesome. The, the wife approved a shed that I can convert. Nice. Like I'm going to I'm going to hopefully get a shed and and insulate it and run outlets and stuff in it and, and you can do whatever make you it want. my own yeah so it's awesome yeah we'll see how that goes yeah have you ever heard of stenodactylus yes uh, the the dune geckos the sand geckos i think so yeah okay it rings a bell. I'm so, sure okay, if I saw yeah. them, I'd recognize them. Okay, I'll, I'll send you a picture later on. I just got some, and there's like not much information on them out there. So I was wondering if mm -hmm. you knew someone I could uh, reach, or someone that was working with them that I could uh, ask a couple of questions to. Yeah, I, I'm. I really would. If I'm going to do geckos, though, it's going to be coleonics. Like that's going to be the first. Coleonics is. Yeah, so that's the like the the bandit geckos that we have in Texas and Arizona down here. See, that's what. Uh, how do you spell that? Sorry. <laughs> if i try to say it off the top of my head i'm gonna sound like an idiot if i showed you how i spelled it c-o-l-e-o-n-y-x they're literally the u.s version of a leopard gecko very far from what i i spelled it at. okay oh these are very cool see what's nice about uh where you guys are is that you can go and work with uh native species you can take them up like you can pick them off the ground and just take them home that's very illegal where i am really i, I would love to work with like some of the garter snakes we have mm -hmm. here with the blue lines on them they're incredible but i like yeah it's it's uh, you can't work with any native species or sell them or own them so like there's 
Like, there's really no point. Yeah, you're kind of limited. You can Yeah, and then even very limited. Very, very limited. Actually, even the the bylaws for legal species in the area, it's it's a joke. Like, carpet python, anything, any any snake over six feet, um, is illegal, basically. Hmm. So, you're you're. I mean, even ball pythons get up to six feet at some point, right? <laughs> like, Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the, the bandit geckos, though, man, those are awesome. Seeing those in Texas myself when we went out there with the NPR yeah. guys, like, I have such a bigger appreciation for those things. Like, I had, I had heard about them before that, and I was like, yeah, those are cool and all. But then you see it, and you're like, dude, that's a freaking leopard gecko, and we're in Texas, Texas. like, <laughs> a couple miles from the Mexico border. Like, they're right here on our own backyard, and it is the coolest thing. And then walking around Big Bend National Park, which is amazing. I want to go back so bad. And, like, the middle of the night, and finding them running around some of the bushes and, and stuff like that is just, they're so how, cool. How was that Texas trip? Oh, it was awesome, dude. Yeah. You guys just spent the whole time herping? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, awesome. it was, we were there for a week and I mean, wow. it was awesome. It was also brutal, you know, cause those guys are like no sleep. Guess what? We're going hiking during yeah. the day and then we're all getting in the van and we're going to go hiking cruising the road, cruising the, yep. Cruising the roads until 3am, you know? Yeah. And would you actually find, or is it like, like, I mean, I know I'm up in Canada, but like going herping for me is hell here. Cause I'll find one animal every like four trips, but like, I assume down in Texas, probably pretty easy to find stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we did okay. Uh, yeah. So Chris and some of his buddies went out to the same areas we were in like a month later and there was some, there was more rain then okay. and they freaking killed it, man. They found yeah. so much stuff. Rain it was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, they caught a, a bear dread actually, and he sent it to me. So that's a male that I have that I may pair with no a female way. in spring. Yeah. So um, just the different terrains and stuff, you know, West Texas alone, like there's, there's so much variation in the habitat you right. know, from, from big Ben to uh, Davis mountains. Um you know, you yeah. see all the different terrain and you really understand why there's so much variation in some of the species as far as color and stuff goes, because they're they blend in with those each each habitat and each area so perfectly. It's yeah, it's kind of crazy because it's also similar at the same time. It's all super dry, super hot. You, know, Did you guys see some... any of those horned lizards? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Those, those cool, were man. that was like one of the highlights of the trip. Yeah. Was we were in uh, I think it was Pinto. Cool. Pinto Canyon, I think is what it was called. Um, and we were, you're driving on this road. There's, there's no traffic. There's border patrol everywhere though, but there's no traffic and you're going like 50 or 60 down this road and you see what looks like a rock in the road. And it's, it's actually a horn lizard. And so like after a while, your eyes get accustomed to spotting them. They're just sitting but there. But as soon as you stop, like they usually take off and they're fast as hell. Like okay. for a small lizard, dude, they're, they're yeah. they can freaking move. But man, those things were so cool. That's another thing where like instantly I was like, I gotta find books on these things. I got a shirt when we were at Bing Bend yeah. shop that has a, a big uh has a horn lizard on it. And it's unfortunate that they're such a pain to keep. It's okay, that, so that, that was my fun. Point. They eat ants like exclusively. So that's why they're they're not found or seen in the hobby. Yeah, yeah. And it's not just any ants, it's these giant, like there's these huge red ants that you that you see all over on the sides of the roads in these same areas we were finding them, just these massive colonies of ants every couple feet, you know. So you couldn't feed them like fruit flies or anything? No. 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 Okay, interesting. Yeah, I guess the color red might be like a signal or something to them. Yeah, well like they, they need got... those and they need a lot of them and they need them regularly. Yeah, you know, it's not something yeah. you can only feed like once a week. Like these guys are probably eating almost from daily, that. I would assume from that heat. Yeah, fast yeah. metabolism from the heat. Absolutely, man. They were so freaking cool. That's awesome. They is it true that they they spray the blood from their eyes? Uh, yeah, I've never we none of them did it when yeah. we had them. We had you, found a couple females that looked like maybe they had just laid some eggs because they're you know their undersides were all dirty and sort of muddy looking like maybe they had just laid. So you were able to catch them. Yeah, yeah, we got our hands awesome. on a handful of them actually, and okay. you know we we take pictures of each one and then release it. Um, Man, Doctor Julander burned the snot out of his out of his arm on the uh, exhaust pipe under the van because we got out the car to catch one, and it had, they they I guess they see the shadow under the under the car, and that's where they go, and they 
you know, none of our arms were long enough to fully reach it. And so someone yeah. would have to kind of scoot it to get it to shoot out one side. And, you know, there's like four adult men chasing around the van trying to catch this little tiny lizard, you know, the size like of, of like two golf balls. Yeah. It's tiny. You know? Yeah. It's, but it's fun, man. That, the, yeah. But then, I mean, those little man, those little horns they have on them. Like if you're, not paying attention and grabbing them kind of quick those things will jab you good yeah are they they they're not like they're not like, soft they're not soft they're yeah, yeah. okay yeah, it's like that's bone yeah they look like they're bone from the pictures mm -hmm. and what's even interesting too is actually up the coast from me in the charleston area there's a population of them that was introduced back in i think like the 50s okay um it's sullivan's island is what it's called and i think it's it's mostly like a touristy sort of vacation rental spot but um at some point i would like to see if jake will go up there with me and see what we can find because that'd be fun just to see him again you know yeah. we, we don't have those here those are specifically like a western western thing and for some reason this population on sullivan's island has been doing well for decades and well it's good because they are uh their native range is endangered if i uh, remember mm -hmm. correctly and the there's Dallas... a couple, yeah there's a couple species that are that are you're definitely yeah. not supposed to mess with them yeah, the the Dallas Zoo is uh is currently breeding them and re-releasing them, mm -hmm. so maybe that that had something to do with that. Or it's very cool, man. I yeah, I definitely need to come down to the states and go herping one day. That's yeah, yeah, and Daytona and and uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> and everything else. You guys have it better down there for sure. That was the first time I had been out west, man. It was like another planet, you know, compared to here. Like we have we have snakes and lizards and stuff here, but it's it's nothing like out there. You know, we don't have tarantulas here, and they have tarantulas out there. And did you see any cool tarantulas? Yeah, well, yeah. they're all they're all a phonopelma, which aren't anything yeah. terribly exciting. Like they're all pretty much brown or tan or some combination of the two. So I mean, they're really not anything like mind blowing. But seeing them in the wild was really cool because i there was a point where i was keeping a lot of tarantulas and a lot of scorpions and so of course me and phil being kind of the two bug nerds of the trip we you know we'd find in a phonopelma and we'd be like showing it off and i'd try and find grasshoppers and like throw it to them and see if they they'd grab it and did any of them grab it no <laughs> yeah, usually when the light show when the light hit the you know their little hole their little burrow they you just see legs they just kind of just tuck disappear back. yeah yeah that's interesting they were they were cool are you currently keeping any tarantulas or scorpions not at the moment. No, no. My yeah. wife is not a fan no, of okay. either. And uh, that's another slippery slope, man. Like you get one, you end up getting like 20. And because you can keep so many of them in such a small amount of space, it's dangerous. Yeah, it's, it's just like dart frogs. Yep. You're just just like, especially like random Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. They are very cool. I've, I've been mm -hmm. looking, um, I've been looking into them a lot more recently and uh, they're fun. They, they look very cool and the hot and tata uh yeah scorpions that are, are like parthenogenic is it's just blowing mm -hmm. my mind i i need to see that happen like so maybe i, one I day enjoyed i enjoyed the communal species a lot you know yeah. your centroroides all your your bark scorpions um some i kept some titus uh was this before all the reptiles or like at the same time there was a point where i had kind of i had I had maybe like one or two snakes, but everything else was inverts. Like I kind of went okay. through a, a phase for, for a period of time where I was really hyper-focused on inverts. That's um, awesome. But they're, they're fun, man. That's another thing that I'll always have a soft spot for. And yeah. one day maybe, you know, I will get back into that stuff. I don't think it's going to be anytime soon, but I, I did enjoy them. When I had them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Okay, um, I think that pretty much covers um, most of the questions I had for you. Cool. I do have one more like closing question before before I let you go. Uh, okay. Do you do you have any advice for people looking to get into podcasting, uh, specifically in this niche? There's not a lot of podcasts out there for reptiles, and out of like the few that are out there, you're involved with like most of them. So, <laughs> who better to ask this question to, right? consistency yeah it's gonna be the big thing it's when me and jake started i think the best way to do it is to not have any sort of preconceived notions about what like don't have any expectations you know it's you're not going to get a lot of traction to start but over time you know as long as you're you're putting out good content and you're you're making sure that your focus is more on on the guest and and asking questions and getting information out there I think that that gives you a good a good foot 
you know, out the door. Um, yeah. My thing is with every episode that we're doing is like at the end of the, each show, it's like, do I feel like we actually brought something to the table? And some episodes, they're not all going to be awesome. They're not all going to be zingers sometimes. I mean, the Snakes and Stogies before yesterday's, me and Phil finished and we were like, what the hell was that? That was horrible. <laughs> that was so bad. Like, we didn't feel like we didn't cover anything. Like, it was just us babbling for like two hours. Yeah. Um, and of course, people are like, no, man, it was good. Like, I actually, I really like, you know, X, Y, and Z. And we're like, okay, yeah. someone got something out of it. But it's basically like making sure that you're, you're giving something you want people to get something out of it you know each yeah. episode it doesn't have to be anything super deep or super you know informative but just something you know you want some there want to there has to be a takeaway um Absolutely. and then it's it's definitely a big thing for me too is is being fairly particular about guests you know we're all of us at the at the network are pretty adamant about not giving free handlers and sort of the the sensationalized guys a platform so being sort of picky about guests and yeah. quote-unquote selling out you know don't don't get the the guys with the huge followings on just because they have huge followings in hopes that maybe you'll capture some of that you know it's just that. it's do good my my whole policy with everything that i do is put out good stuff do it for for the hobby and not yourself necessarily and everything else will fall into place everything yeah. else will follow so that's that's awesome advice Okay, well, Justin, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Um, we didn't get a chance to dive into all the other... Uh, that just gives you an excuse for another one. It, that's basically what I was trying to say. Yeah, so hopefully you'll be down to come back and Absolutely. do a deep dive on like Condros or like something. Like I said, I love doing this stuff, man. I'm always yeah. always down to talk about this stuff. Awesome, yeah. Um, can you let everyone know where they can find... or? The many, many places they can find you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a hard man to get a hold of. Yeah. Um, so you can find... If you're on instagram you can find the podcast stuff at at the herpetoculture network you can find me and my my collection uh at palmetto coast exotics at herpetoculture magazine all the same for for facebook it's all on there um if anybody has any questions feel free to hit me up i'm, I'm usually pretty quick to respond to people because i'm usually hanging out at a cigar shop either watching, watching the office or something stupid on youtube or some stupid movie to begin with so i'm usually available um awesome yeah 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 so yeah once again thank you very much man i'll have all of his um information in the show notes i have all of my information in the show notes as well i'm daffy's reptiles on everywhere and daffy's round ah, daffy's round table for the podcast give us both a follow and hopefully you'll be seeing justin again very very soon thank you guys very much thank you